Medic! All right, today on the Medic Up podcast, I have Christian and Samuel Adams, who are identical twin brothers, and they wrote a book titled Life and Death Matters, Professionalism and Decision-Making for the First Responder, How Paramedics Act Decisively in the Chaos of Pre-Hospital Emergency Medicine. So consequently, that makes them identical twin authors as well. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having us, Chris. We're really excited to be here. This is a great opportunity, so I uh, really appreciate it. Man. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much. We really appreciate uh, you having us on the show. Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm excited to talk about this book. So let me tell the listeners a little bit about both of you. We'll get right to it. So real quick, okay. Sam and Christian Adams are identical twin brothers. They have over 20 years of experience responding to 911 calls. They both love working as firefighter paramedics for the Colorado Springs Fire Department, and they fervently believe in providing the highest quality patient care to the citizens of Colorado Springs. Christian is a nationally registered and Colorado State certified paramedic. He's also certified in RSI. In 2012, he was honored as the Pridemark Rural Metro Paramedic of the Year for the Denver, Denver metro area. He was also recently awarded as the Colorado Springs Fire Department Paramedic of the Year for 2018. Uh, he's trained and has worked with the Colorado Springs Fire Department TEMS team and currently functions as a paramedic with the city's high angle rope rescue team. Also functions as a preceptor for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. He has an associate's degree from the New Mexico Military Institute and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Northern Colorado. And when he's not responding to alarms, his favorite pastime is enjoying the Colorado outdoors with his wife and two boys. Samuel Adams is a nationally registered and Colorado State certified paramedic, and he is also certified in RSI. And he started his career as an EMT in the Denver metro area. After going through paramedic school, he worked in the Denver area, responded to 911 calls. He's on the Colorado Springs Thames team uh, for the city. His current assignment is as part of the Wildland Firefighting Deployment Team for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. In 2017, Samuel was named Paramedic of the Year for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. He also serves on a paramedic advisory committee for the Colorado Springs Fire Department, and that serves to advise the uh, EMS systems in the Colorado Springs area. Uh, Sam also works as a paramedic preceptor for the fire department, and he has an associate's of arts degree from New Mexico Military Institute and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Northern Colorado. And his time is best spent with his wife camping in the summers and being around his two brothers. Guys, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I'm super excited to get into this. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Chris. We really appreciate it. By listening to that bio... By, by listening to those, you can certainly tell we're probably identical twins, huh? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so the book, man, tell me, tell me about it. Tell me, tell me about who, who was, who were Chris and Sam, and uh, you guys have, you guys have a website. It's uh, fieldmedics.com, if I have that right. Uh, you guys are on social media with field, the field medic stuff on Instagram and uh, and Facebook, and we'll link to all that stuff in our show notes, and it'll be awesome, and people will contact you and get this book, and let's go for it. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, you know, you kind of hit on a lot of it. We were both worked for the city of Colorado Springs Fire Department. Um, over the last several years, we've been precepting lots of individuals, and we kind of just um, started writing down some of the uh, things that we do as preceptors and as paramedics. Um, and 
firefighters or first responders, some of the ways that we like to conduct ourselves and, and sort of teach other people. And as we were writing some things down, we just sort of, it kind of morphed into uh, us understanding that there was a real need in the first responder world for some literature on how to act decisively, how to become a decision maker and be a professional first responder. And so it kind of morphed into uh, the book Life and Death Matters. Yeah, you know, I was uh, precepting somebody early last year and or late, I guess it was late 2017. And, and it kind of hit me. I'd written a couple things down and I'd been kind of thinking about writing a book for a little while. And the person I was precepting really embraced what we were going over as far as more character development and personal development and decision making and how that's needs to be integrated into your didactic understanding of, of your medical principles that you obviously learn in medic school and through your continuing education. And there just wasn't anything on the market to kind of tie all those things together and really emphasize the need for it. You know, I think that one of the biggest lacks that we have in the pre-hospital world is that we have so much information on cardiology and capnography and disease process and videos of how to innovate people or crank people or whatever, but there's no real information on how to integrate that with who you are as a person and how you specifically make decisions and how you interpret information and then uh, act decisively. So we kind of collaborated and, and thought that this would be a good work. And we kind of did it to start with just trying to help some people in our own department that we were precepting and it kind of morphed into in a, a book and a little bit more. So it's been a great, great journey. And then after the book, we developed the field medics and that's at field-medics.com. And there we sort of continually develop these principles of professional development and decision-making and, um, how to integrate that into your understanding of medical principles. So at field medics, what we really do is try and integrate three important principles of learning. And that's obviously medical understanding. You have to have knowledge about what it is you're trying to do. Character development, professional attributes, inter interpersonal skills, and then decision-making. So when you begin to integrate those things within the first responder world or as a paramedic, you begin to understand that you can really, really be successful um, and go out the door with extreme confidence that whatever you're going to be asked to mitigate, you are going to be able to. So it's really been fun to sort of develop some of these principles and really start to articulate how it is that we do what we do as paramedics. Absolutely. I agree with you guys 100%. And I think this really does bridge a gap uh, that's been out there for a long time and you guys have hit it 100%. You know, there's the great didactic knowledge and, you know, you know, we cover clinical decision making in school, you know, but it's based on it's assessment based management. And it's of the medical or the trauma patient, you know, if they're 
life-threatening hemorrhage, apply a tourniquet high and tight until the bleeding stops and the pulse is obliterated. You know, go to the trauma center, go to the surgeon. Great. And then, you know, there's so much other stuff on the, the field training side where I can teach someone to say, okay, here's how you're going to evaluate your trainee on how well they did that skill. But when you really break it down, it's just, it's at the meat and potatoes of it. It's, it's an if and then statement. If life-threatening hemorrhage, apply tourniquet, right? You guys, right, right. You guys have put in the, those, those three principles, you know, the knowledge, the character development and the decision-making. That's all the stuff that goes into the, well, it's way past that if and then statement. And, you know, my my favorite part of that book was the the idea of do things with intent, the, with purpose. Like even and it starts, it starts when you put your uniform on in the morning, go out the door, go out the door, door to the alarm, go out to the, the door to the BLS call with intent. I'm going to go out there and I intend to do this. I'm, that way I'm switched on versus the, right. well, if it's life-threatening hemorrhage, apply tourniquet, you know, and then think about all the physiology I was taught in school about, you know, adrenaline dump and shock management, shock physiology, physiology of life and death, so on and so forth. You know, you guys hit that character stuff. And the uh, one of the things that I really kind of, I kept going back to, um, you know, not, I don't know if you guys listened to the uh, the PJ Medcast, Doc uh, Stephen Rush. Uh, he did a podcast maybe a year or two ago, and it uh, talked about character traits in um, the the re- uh, the rescue athlete or pararescue guys or special operations guys. And it, oh, yeah. it found a lot of a lot of similarities between that and like elite athletes. And oh, it was, yeah. yeah, and it was like the idea of. You know, we run, we don't, you know, we run toward the explosion versus, you know, cowering away or running away. We have a kind of, we can filter out the, the human need for fear, fight or flight and go, I need to be here to help. And yes, uh, all this other stuff. And when you guys start talking about your character development, I was like, that is a direct parallel to those, you know, those character traits. And, you know, you've got the innate ones and you've got ones you can develop over time. And you guys, you guys yeah. have hit the develop over time on the head. Well, I think it's important because it gives people another avenue to try to have some personal development and personal growth. And it gives them something else to focus on. And it justifies the need to focus on it. And it gives people the ability to read something that they can have in their hand and really start to apply to how they behave and act at work you know because we have so many great uh first responders all over the country and i think that it will just give them another avenue and another idea of something to develop themselves instead of just reading about clinical presentations or cardiology and and pharmacology it gives them something else that they can also develop and then in doing so it will further develop them as a paramedic. And the ironic part about it is that if you do that, if you develop those characteristics and those interpersonal skills, what it does is drives you to read more cardiology. Right. Because you recognize that you just don't know everything. And the the ironic part is that it's completely integrated. If you develop those other skill sets, you'll recognize, you know what, I need to study more pharmacology. And I know that that has definitely been the case with me. So, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, one of the other things, too, you talked about intent. 
there's a quote that Sam has in the book that's on our website. And it says, intention is decisiveness with purpose. And I completely agree with that sort of attitude. When you go out the door, you have to be in it. You have to function with intent and everything that you do so that you can mitigate whatever problem. We shouldn't be sort of reacting all the time towards things. You should be intent, intently um, mitigating a problem um, with decisiveness and with purpose for all the actions that you're doing and how you conduct yourself. I, I agree. Um, and, and like I was saying to you guys earlier, um, just that just that blurb, just that portion of the book. And again, the book is fantastic all the way around. Um, that is the one thing that tipped the scale for me that I knew that I was going to integrate this book into my paramedic curriculum here at the college. Um, because that's one of the hardest things for us to do in initial paramedic education. And it's funny because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a national association of EMS educators. Um, tenant is, you know, affect. Um, and affect is one of the hardest things to teach and it's one, it's even harder to evaluate. And, uh, as I read through this book, this, this book, life and death matters on the, the educator and the field training officer side of me says, this is the blueprint to not only teach reinforce, but also evaluate affect. Because if I, if I instill these principles into the student in their initial education over that year and a half they're going to develop on their on their own without that exposure and experience of of paramedic type calls or bls calls and they're gonna they're gonna drive themselves and if we push intent and you know the knowledge and the character development that affect is going to follow a natural progression like they're going to naturally want to be better not just to perform for a grade they're going to want to be better when they hit the street on that first day versus well, let me get through my survival year and then I'll start to kind of come into my own. So this will push them, you know, through that initial education. Yeah, it really kind of um, decreases the lag time. I like to call it the lag time. I mean, you've got the time that you get done with medic school and then you're on your own in the back of an ambulance or in the back of a fire engine or truck and you're operating independently of anybody's real oversight. There's a there's a quite a bit of a lag time between the end of your training to where you actually start to become comfortable in what it is you're doing. And if you if you approach paramedicine with this philosophy of integrating all this stuff, it greatly reduces that lag time. Your confidence, your confidence goes through the roof. You grow so quickly as a as a medic or as a first responder. Because you're operating with such a reliability of intent and a reliability of approach towards patient care, and it drives your success. Um, one of the things that we talk about so much in the book is this idea of consistency. And I really believe that success is built on consistency because over time, you create silently a degree of reliability. And so then when you go out the door, you're confident because you've been approaching patient care consistently and it's become reliable. So you're very confident in what you're doing. You're very confident in how you're going to act, how you're going to approach a scene or a situation and interpret information and what interventions you're going to perform because it's been, it's been done before. It's a reliable process. Um, And that's one of the things that we talk about in the book is 
this approach with consistency aspect. Uh, you might have touched on it already, but really, what was um, I know you guys said you kind of saw as you were precepting some, you know, trying to help some people out. Was there like some common stuff you guys saw that you got together and said, man, we really need to, you know, this is what I wrote down. This is what you wrote down. Maybe how do we put it together and then how the how the book kind of got going. It's like, what was really the impetus for, for writing it? Were you guys just like, hey, like everybody else, hey, I want to help and change the world or, or what? Well, what really started it was um, I was I was precepting that that person uh, back in late 2017 and ran a pretty bad call, just a a pretty sick a pretty sick patient, and I was allowing them to kind of try to make some decisions and and flow with it, and um, got them to the hospital, and everything turned out just fine, but. There was a couple mistakes that were made as far as decision making, not clinical understanding, but decision making. And what really jogged me was that the person I was training was more upset that they had disappointed me than they were about the decisions that they had made. And they were disappointed because of those decisions, but that it was a reflection of their lack of decisiveness in critical situations. And it was something that we had been working on so diligently. And so he really felt like he had let me down. And it really kind of was an eye-opening experience for me because I recognize that what we're doing here as preceptors is not instruction. We're not instructing people about cardiology. We're, we're involved in, in um, personal development. And that encompasses so much more than just mere instruction. And obviously as preceptors, we go over cardiology, pharmacology, capnography, all these different things that you have to know. But one of the terms that Chris and I like to use is verification, not re-education. And so we verify that people understand these things, but we need to have a more global understanding of what we do as preceptors and trying to build people instead of just build someone that can read a 12 lead. And when you do that, it really sparks interest in your student and it causes them to want to be better. It drives them to be better when you invest yourself in, in uh, someone like that. And that was really kind of what happened. And so I, I was thinking about it and didn't really know how to start and start working on it. And then I finally just started writing some things down and writing some things down. And then I came to Chris really early on and was like, Hey, what do you think about this? What does this look like to you? And he was really encouraging towards it. And so we, at that time, we decided to write everything down that we could. And originally I thought it was going to be a little pamphlet and it wasn't really going to be a full fledged book, but it just kind of morphed into that. So that's really kind of how it started. Man, it, it is. It's it's fantastic. I love the way it's written. I love the writing style. It's very narrative. Um, it's it's uh, it, it honestly kind of puts a a comfort level, and it's very validating. Uh, I think to either the student, the trainee, or the the field training officer slash preceptor, or the preceptor who might not be a field training officer. Uh, it was very validating to me because you know again you know you you get into you, you're in this for a little while and you you rise up to that level of preceptor or field training officer. And then, you know, some, there's a lot of people who, 
who walk around out there, including myself, and they have horrible cases of imposter syndrome where they're like, oh, my God, people are going to find out I'm a fraud. Maybe I don't know everything I thought I know. And, you know I know, right? You know, huh. and then, you know, but then all of a sudden, you know, you've got, you have students or you have trainees who look up to you. And like you said, you know, that, that trainee, man, he felt like he left, he let you down um, and because of his lack of decision making. And like, you know, you look at that and you're like, man, did I let him down because I didn't give him the tools that he right. needs that he didn't get in initial paramedic education, sitting in the classroom or going to clinicals or ride outs or scenario time. You know, right. And like I said, very validating. I was like, man, I, I, I've done that. That's pretty cool. That's the right thing to do because let's face it. There's really, I mean, you've got a very large, the, the, uh, the FTEP program, which is expensive and it's very structured a couple days long. Um, that's really modeled after the, the police model. Uh, and then you really, there's really only two other books out there about field training. Uh, and one is more based toward how to evaluate students. Um, it can be used for field training, but it's it's structured. It works off of prompts, and it's great for school. But I don't know how well that works in the, you know, phase two or phase three uh, of field training. If that's something you're you know that your department does. So, like I said, I looked at it as this beautiful blueprint on how to be a paramedic um, as a person, not just that didactic knowledge. And as I kept going through the book, as I kept going, you know, chapter by chapter, I realized that, man, this thing is a great screening tool for your field training officer candidates as well. Um, like do is, you know, you can kind of, kind of call the herd there and see, you know, does this person possess that character trait or the, the wherewithal to kind of do that job if they were thinking about coming up or taking that next step. So um, what do you think also, like I said, I was saying earlier, you know, I really think this helps teach that affect and guide it. What do you, have you guys heard? Have you guys been getting feedback? Have you guys been hearing success with it or maybe local or even, even further than that? Yeah, we've had lots of great feedback from the book, um, from local to really all over. Um, there's been lots of people who have been really excited to read it and really excited to sort of, um, get on board with this field medics um, journey that we're taking to developing paramedics and developing first responders. You know, we've had people come up and say, this is the, this was the missing link. This is what I needed to be successful because I, I was never taught this or these sorts of things didn't really, I didn't know how to make a decision here or what it was that I was trying to do or how I should be acting. And so we've had People come up and say, this was the this was the missing link. This is what I needed. And now I feel confident. Now I feel like I can go out the door and, and be successful. Um, I think the other thing that it does that we've gotten a lot of feedback on is that, which is encouraging, and it's also demonstrative of the fact that we have such great paramedics all over the country and firefighters all over the country. But what they what they're saying is that there's nothing really groundbreaking in the book. It's not like we presented any earth shattering information, but we've organized it in a way that is articulate. You can now physically touch what it is that you're actually trying to do. And it gives you the ability to really kind of chew on it. And so there's all these ideas that we talk about in the book and that most of us as first responders already do. To, to a large degree, but it does decrease that lag time and it does bridge that gap. But it also 
like you said, it reinforces a lot of what we already do and it articulates it. So you're able to really chew on what it is that we're doing when we go out the door. Absolutely. Um, like I said, that's, I'm going to use it as a handbook for how to be a paramedic and a paramedic student and a paramedic trainee. So, and then, you know, obviously it's going to pay dividends in their first year of, 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 of work and, you know, and down the road. So lifelong learning and everything else. So, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so Christian, what's the, do you have a favorite part of the book or like that you worked, you know, specifically hard on or? Well, my favorite part of the book kind of, um, is a little bit why I began writing or how I started writing. It was the idea of teaching others. And, and I think that my favorite part is the role of the preceptor, because as a preceptor, I always wanted to gain something from precepting people. I always wanted to better myself. I always wanted to get into a position where I'm learning something from the student, um, but also imparting at the same time valuable information and valuable decision-making processes to the student. And so when I sat down and we started really trying to hammer out what the role of the preceptor was, that's definitely my favorite part. And I think that the beginning part of that is the best because it sets you up with a degree of humility. And you have to understand that when you act as a preceptor, you have to be understanding that you don't know everything and that you're not the the end all be all and that your student needs you to be their mentor and needs you to be their advocate so that you're setting them up for success. We can't be as preceptors in the business of trying to fail somebody out or find what their fly is and expose it so that we can um, make comments or disparaging remarks about their ability to treat people we should find those those deficiencies that they have and then build them up so that they become a better paramedic and so we have to um understand that as preceptors we're there to create an environment so that the student can succeed not an environment in which we're trying to make them fail that's my definitely my favorite part is the this teaching others in the role of the preceptor yeah, we've all we've all we all know one of those preceptors or a field training officer that says, "Well, you know, if you can get past me, I guess you deserve to work here." Like, that's, right? That's the that's the red flag. <laughs> red flag. Like, yeah, red red flag right there. Like, no, you know, no, and it's you know, and it's funny, you know. I, now I've seen people start that way, and I've seen them grow out of that, and then really look back and go man, I was like that because I really wasn't at the top of my game. I really just wanted to do that for the 5% raise. And, you know, now all of a sudden, like they're, and they're also the preceptor that learns something from the student where, you know, the student will show them something cool in cardiology. And they'll be like, man, I don't, I never learned that. So you must be wrong. Um, I'm going to give you a bad grade. And then they go and they look it up and go, man, that was right. That was, that was, that was sharp. Uh, I better, I better get back in the books. There's some stuff that's changed in the last couple of years. And, Maybe they grow out of it, but then, you know, it's, it, I hate that you, you feel like you've, you've wasted some time, you know, and then for the student, you know, it's all that mixed message. Like, man, I walked in and all they said was, well, if I'm smart, I'm going to do well, but I'm a student and I just learned this and I hope I have the right answer every time this person asks me some type of Jeopardy question. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that Chris does a great job of really kind of building that idea that we don't 
we shouldn't be so focused on just instruction. And really, it, it just goes back to the fact that you have to have other ideas and philosophies about how to teach people other than just getting out the books. And like you said, you put it perfectly, just quizzing people on Jeopardy. Yeah. That's not what we do. We need to be developing people and developing their confidence and their ability to act. And the reality is that everybody learns differently. Everybody's going to approach things differently. And so as a preceptor, you have to understand that. You have to be very comfortable at adapting to their way of doing things because we can't just be so focused on making them conform to the way we do things because it, if it's not natural for the, for the new medic or the new student, it's not going to be good. They won't be good at it. They have to be, they won't be confident. They'll just be concerned with what it is that you're requiring or what it is that you, how you would conduct the patient assessment or whatever, but they have to be comfortable and it has to be a natural progression for them, a natural flow of patient assessment to interventions, to treatment plans. And you as a preceptor have to understand that everybody's going to come with a different level of understanding or different skill sets and you have to be able to adapt to them we shouldn't be in this idea of thinking that they need to adapt to us as the preceptor now certainly there's expectations that we go over as the preceptor but we need to really be trying to mold them as a student or as a new medic as opposed to forcing them to conform to exactly how we do stuff and so that's sort of some of the stuff that we talk about in the teaching others section and the role of the preceptor. Yeah, absolutely. Spe- so speaking as an educator, I can I, I will agree with that 100 percent. And again, do having done all the other jobs. I mean, uh, all right, you know, confession time. I and I still do it and I probably do it now more jokingly because someone did it to me when I was coming up in EMS during their kind of their ride outs or capstone and I, i'm only part-time now so i don't get to ride with the students as much as i'd like to but like i always used to say i'm like look you know you're on your capstone you're the team leader we've got you know you, you're set up for this you're ready i'm I'm not gonna let you kill anybody but i'm gonna put my hands right. in my pockets and if my hands have to come out of my pockets your grade probably is going to go down now <laughs> it probably yeah. you know that's not probably not the most you know uh fostering the most educational environment and they're like oh i should be watching the patient but i'm watching chris's hands <laughs> hang on and like i don't probably do that as much anymore and i joke with the students now but uh, you know right. again not the best thing but you know you, you live you learn and i would never you know i I, would, I always treated i always treated my student and my trainees as i'm i'm not training my replacement i'm training my partner uh, right. You know, especially the students, because I was very I was very lucky when I was full time. I would get students coming through as a preceptor. You know, you get through a couple a couple shifts or a month or two with them in those in those earlier semesters. Like, man, are you thinking about working here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'd be great if I could. I'd be like, look, let's make that happen. And then when they got they could get the job, I'd be like, hey, tell them you want to go to night shift and you want to come to C shift. And then I'd go into our HR person and say, hey, I heard so-and-so applied. Why don't, they were my student. You should just leave them with me for the first couple months. I'll do their training. Oh, okay. Right. That sounds great. Now, was I trying to make them another version of me? Uh, probably early on. But as I got a little bit older, a little more mature, I understood, like, hey, let them be their own person as long as we don't let them. You let that leash out a little bit. You, like you guys are saying, I, don't, I, didn't think, I didn't know I was doing it, but trying to develop character. Um, yeah, you know, not but, just how to keep away from a, a QA flag on a chart or have to answer questions to the doc or in court or whatever. Well, I think that that is 
a complete recognition of your own characteristics. And I think that the fact that you came to those conclusions on your own demonstrates your character as a, as a person, not as a paramedic, but as a person. That makes and me feel good, but it took a while. It <laughs> I, I make, I it, make it, it sound like it's happened overnight, but it didn't. I know. I, I know it takes, it can take a long time, but the fact that you come to that conclusion is demonstrative of your character and the kind of person that an educator that you want to be. And that's what we really should strive for as paramedic preceptors and preceptors in general and just educators and is just developing people to be better at what they're doing, not be able to answer all the Jeopardy questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you, Sam? What was a favorite part of your, your part? Do you have a specific part in the book or just a part you like? Yeah. So my favorite part is probably uh, a little bit more, I don't know if I would say controversial, but <laughs> I think I think people um, stray away from it to a large degree. And my favorite part is our chapter titled There Is No Gray. And I think that people use the term gray situation, which we hear, which just per, just permeates EMS, is this idea of gray situations that we go on these calls that are convoluted and we don't really know what to do. So we'll just chalk it up to a gray situation and hope everything turns out for the best. And I think that that's extremely destructive. And I think what it does is really the only thing that it does is it demonstrates it demonstrates or it justifies a lack of accountability. There's no real easy way to say that other than it justifies your lack of accountability. When you enter a scene and you are talking about this is a gray situation, what you're really doing is looking for the back door. You're looking for an excuse to make a bad decision and you're looking for an excuse to not make a decision, period. And it's really indecision that is the culprit. It's not a great situation. And that, and we don't mean to say that there aren't extremely difficult decisions to make in EMS because Lord knows we've got, we go on so many crazy calls that you really do have to make hard and tough decisions, but you should be making those decisions with confidence and confidence is a direct result of accountability. If you are willing to take accountability for what you do, it makes it easier to decide what to do. And one of the one of the quotes in the book that Chris says is your decisiveness is a direct reflection of your willingness to take responsibility for the decisions that you do make. And it is directly related to this whole gray area situation. If you are willing to take accountability for your actions, you will be able to act more decisively. And you will recognize that there aren't really gray areas. There are extremely difficult decisions to make, but you don't have to make it convoluted. And what it does is when you do that, it predisposes you to indecision. When you approach calls or scenes with a gray mentality, it predisposes you for indecision. And it predisposes you to look for the back door. It predisposes you to look for an excuse. And it is demonstrative and a justification for your lack of accountability. Hey. When you when you approach calls with that mentality of there is no gray, you will have a completely new outlook on how you how you're approaching calls. And your decisiveness and your willingness to act will go through the roof. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I think the idea too that 
when you function in this world of gray where you're being kind of indecisive, you don't really want to make a decision because it's difficult or um, it's a hard decision to make, or you don't really understand which way you should go, but you know you should do something, but you're not really sure, so you chalk it up to being gray. What you're really doing is compromising the care of the patient as well, because you're silently giving credence to the grayness and you're silently allowing the indecision permeate the rest of your team. And so now all of a sudden you've created a situation where your team is not confident in your abilities. Your team's not confident in what they should be doing. The patient becomes less confident in your ability to act decisively to mitigate their problem because you're sort of operating in this gray area. Well, should I this or should I that? You you have to understand that grayness is a is a cancer that permeates the mind and you have to be willing to be decisive and take accountability for the decisions that you make. But Sam said it great. We're not saying that there's not hard decisions to be made because we understand that there are, but that's where you have to get back into the books, get back into your guidelines, preparation, preparation, preparation. Well, when you go out the door, I think we talked about this earlier with intention it's all integrated this is what we keep coming back to this is all integrated this of this philosophy of integrated pre-hospital care is so beneficial for the for you as a as a first responder when you go out the door with intention you are you are slaying the idea of a gray area because you are intending specifically and decisively to solve the problem that is in front of you and you're going out there with the absolute intent of solving the problem and when you do that with intention and accountability you can then act much more decisively but the key here is you have to take accountability for what you do it it is liberating it liberates the paramedic to be able to act decisively when you know that you will take accountability for your actions it liberates you to be able to make those hard decisions because they're absolutely are hard decisions to make, but it liberates you to be able to do that if you take accountability for it. And that also forces your self-discipline because when you're willing to be accountable for the decisions you make, you become extremely disciplined in your practice because now it's personal. Now you are going to take accountability for what you do, what you say, how you conduct yourself. And so now it's personal. And now you conduct yourself with a degree of discipline in your preparation, in how it is that you assess patients and how it is that you prepare for the day, how it is you go through your drug box. So it's all integrated. And then when you go out the door, you're confident because you know that you're going to be able to mitigate what you're, what is in front of you because you're prepared, you've conducted yourself with discipline, and now you're working with intention. And it's a it's a liberating feeling to know that your decisions are a reflection of your accountability. No doubt. No doubt. I, so, all right, secret time. Um, I read that chapter twice, and, and it's only eight pages long, and I, I read it twice because when I saw the title of the chapter in the table of contents, there is no gray, I was like, huh, they don't get it. There's absolutely gray. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like we, we live in the gray. We operate in the right. gray. And then right. when I read the chapter, I was like, oh. They're not talking about protocols. They're talking about, again, character, accountability, confidence. Yeah. 
and I, I read it twice because I wanted to find a way to be like, they don't get it. But no, uh, I don't or I didn't get it. And then I realized again, again, early in the career. Yeah, I was like, eh, you're not really a patient. I don't want to write the report because it's 20 <laughs> minutes, it's 25 minutes before the end of shift. And uh, yeah, the patient's full absolutely. of shit. But you meet the definition that my SOPs and SOGs say you've met the definition of a patient and I need to write a refusal. And if I teach my new guy that there's a way out of this, he's down the road, they're going to get out. They're going to find a way out of something and it's going to bite him. And we've had it happen. Um, and again, it's never it, it's never something somebody thought about while they were standing face to face with this person that, that, again, should probably have been defined as a patient. And then, you know, maybe the cop says something later or you're going through QA and you realize, why have you been on? Why were you on scene for 45 minutes and then said no patient found? That makes no sense. And then you go dig. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, now again, and it, when I, you, you have to be, you guys said it earlier, and again, it's very validating to me that you, you know, you say, oh, you recognize your own character. Um, you know, I'm a very, again, I'm grown up, I'm a little more grown up than when I started 20 years ago. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very introspective, uh, and I can have those interpersonal, uh, conversations with myself, you know, and sometimes they're not as pretty. Sometimes they're like, Chris, you fuck that up. You know, you could have done a lot better. Um, you can't do that again. Let's not make that same mistake twice. It's stupid. Uh, you're better than that. You were taught better than that. People expect more from you. And, and, and I, I can do that. And I try and push that onto the students as well. Uh, as you know, after, as exposure and experience happens, you've got to go through a, a mental debrief of every call and go, did I do as, did I do everything I could? Did I do the best I could? Was I capable of more things like that? And if it's like, if the answer is yes, it's not, doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're a bad paramedic. It just means you have another chance to improve when you're faced with that next type of patient. So, I mean, I read, I mean, that was only, it's only eight pages long. I read it twice. I I read it twice and I made sure I wanted to make sure I got the message and I was like, okay, I get it. Um, You know, and it's funny. I mean, kind of stupid grin on my face like man i really wanted to be wanting to i wanted them to be wrong no it was was spot it was spot on the way you guys defined it and i was like man this is this it you know it was one of those you guys say there's no groundbreaking stuff in the book i think that eight pages is the groundbreaking because so many medic students and medic trainees out there or emt trainees whatever um they they've been in that situation where the, the preceptor is like, no, listen, we don't really have to write a report on this. It's a bunch of bullshit. We're just, not, you know, don't even bother with it. Nothing's going to happen right. until something happens. And then what until do they Until it happens, right. man. And then my, well, my preceptor said, you know, they didn't really meet the definition. And someone, you know, copies the page. You got your write-up and you got the page out of the SOPs. It says, this is the definition of a patient. Did you find this on scene? Yes. Why didn't you write the refusal? So yeah, like, exactly. yeah, you're right. I was just, I should, you know what? I spent more time trying to get out of the call than I did if I would have just written. We showed up. The patient didn't want an assessment. Didn't want to go. They didn't want. They said this, and we asked them to sign. They didn't want to sign, so we signed, and then we went back in service. It's a whole right. lot easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, there's no gray. No. Well, no. And the, the thing is, the really cool thing about this is that you can develop this in yourself. It begins with. Discipline, self-discipline drives intention. Intention drives habit. And then once you have the habit, that will drive your practice. And then it doesn't become a big deal because that's just how you do it. That's just how you operate. how you go out the door. And so it begins with discipline, which drives and then which drives intention. Intention drives 
uh, habits. And then those habits develop and form in you. And then it's subconscious. You don't even think about what you're doing. You're just doing it because that's what you do. And then you are extremely capable as a first responder to act decisively. And that's the, that's how that built. And so it's, it's good to know that you can develop that in yourself as a individual provider, whether you're an EMT basic or, or a paramedic or a first responder on a volunteer fire department. If you develop those things, it will absolutely make you decisive. Yeah. And I think one of the other important things about that is you're, you're kind of hitting on it that we talk about in life and death matters is this idea of self-reflection and that drives your self-growth and it be, it forces you to become better at what you're doing. It forces you to become a professional. It forces you to develop a process of making decisions. It forces you to be better at every aspect of your job, whether it's firefighting, whether it's paramedicine or EMTs, whether it's whatever part of the first responder world there is. Your willingness to and your humility and your self-reflection to digest what your deficiencies are and what sort of things you need to improve on. If you're willing to actually sit down and be disciplined enough to understand those things, then you can begin to grow from them. And that produces extremely successful paramedics, extremely successful first responders, because they're willing to sit down and, and hey, let's get it out on the table. Let's not try and ha- hide our deficiencies. Let's use those as opportunities to grow, as opportunities for success and opportunities to become better. So, well, and the great thing about that is it's, is it's contagious, you know, um, but somebody has to go down, somebody has to go out the door first. And so why not let it be you? Just go out the door first and take that on and be the leader and make those changes and make those adjustments to yourself. And then it becomes contagious. Your team becomes contagious. The agency you work for recognizes it and you're much more capable. And the reality is, is that it's irrelevant whether it became, it will become contagious, but even if it doesn't, it's irrelevant because now you know personally that you are improving, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's probably the the best way to put that out there too, um, you know, set the example and then it gets contagious. And I think it's, it's great when you see that happen, you're like, oh, all right, cool. I, I did make a little bit of a difference there. And you change, and, and you know, how many, how many times have you heard us say we need to change the culture of EMS and, and stuff like that? I think it's a good, that's a great place to start on the, on the character development side. I think it'll pays, divi- it pays dividends. Yeah, somebody's got to go out the door first, yeah. so why not make it you? Right, right. So what's next for you guys? What's next with this? Well, what we're working on right now is we're just kind of trying to build our uh, brand of field field medics. Uh, we're working on our website, field-medics.com. Um, one of the things that we're working on right now is just blogging. We've written quite a few blogs on there to try to further clarify what it is that we're teaching in the book, what it is that we've already written down and try to build upon some of those principles uh, and try to give more, more information for people to digest and chew on. So that's kind of one of the big things that we're working on right now is just developing that website and blogging. Um, We've worked on some classes 
and we're going to probably be putting on some classes in the Denver area in the next couple months that we're looking forward to. Um, so the other big thing that we're working on right now is we're trying to develop a workbook. So, and we're not sure exactly when that'll come out. We're looking at maybe around November of 2019 and we're trying to develop a workbook for preceptors to have a really good um, blueprint for how to train people and what it is that you're looking for. You know, I think one of the things that's important about doing that is not only is it important to know what to look for, but what is what do these things mean when you see it? What does it actually mean? What do these benchmarks mean that we see? So Chris and I go through that a little bit in the book. We talk about the four concepts that we look for to see if someone's independently capable of working by themselves. And we go over that in the book, but we're trying to build upon that a little bit and develop a real good sound process for preceptors all over the country to be able to look at something and recognize that this is what this is what they should be doing. This is what it means when your student does certain things you know, and how to adjust your teaching plan for them. So that's kind of what we're looking at right now. That's what we're looking forward to. That's awesome. I was, I love it. I was going to beg you to maybe hit the conference circuit, maybe develop a two-day workshop or please do something with this. I'll take the workbook on, and I'll try and find a way to make it out to the Denver area too. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Um, a- absolutely. Um, I think that, I think it's a great plan and, uh, I will have you guys absolutely back on to talk about it uh, here and there because I think there's absolute merit to it. So um, why don't you guys, you know, the floor is yours. Go for it. Why don't you guys give out all the social media, the web addresses, the Amazon. I'm going to put the links to the book in a, in, a, in my show notes. And I like I said, uh, I haven't I wanted to wait to have you guys on before I really started promoting it. I wanted to build it up and then I'm just going to I'm just going to throw it out there for a while. Um it'll just kind of have a a presence on on the on the website for me. Uh I'll throw it in social media wherever I can cuz I really think people need to uh to read the book on the on the on the fire and EMS side as with students, trainees, preceptors, educators, the whole nine yards. So, you know, you guys go for it and tell us, we'll tell everybody where we can find you. Uh, well, uh, first off, you can find us um, at field-medics.com. That's our website. We're there with a blog. Um, and so you can also buy our book on that website. There's a direct link into the Amazon account where you can look for the book Life and Death Matters. Um, if you want, you can just go search it on Amazon as you can buy Life and Death Matters on Amazon. Um, if you uh, go ahead and search for us on Instagram, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, when you go to the blog, if you go ahead and hit subscribe, that'll shoot you a straight email to whenever we, we blog a new um, topic. Right now, we're sort of developing a few things, um, trying to set up a few uh, interesting topics on the blog. So. That should be fun. Um, And then, uh, well, yeah, like I said, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, and then uh, field-medics.com. So if you you want to email us, you can email us at info at field-medics.com, and we will get back to you that way. It's probably easiest to get in touch with us on, on Facebook or 
Instagram, but that's an option as well. Um, but we really uh, appreciate this opportunity and um, everybody go out there and look for the book on Amazon. And I hope that it really does sort of bridge this gap um, and really develop this professional attitude within EMS that we are professionals and we are decision makers and we are um, problem solvers and we have to conduct ourselves as such. And so when you read this book, you're going to understand that it is important. Your personal conduct is important because that is what we are, we are called to do. And so it's a great tool to kind of help you work through some of those things and develop yourself. No doubt, man. And I really appreciate you guys sending me a copy to review. Um, I really am looking at it as the Rosetta Stone of how to be a paramedic and function as a, a, a person, a professional provider of pre-hospital care past the farm and card and patho knowledge, man. So thank you guys again. Um, Life and Death Matters, Professionalism and Decision Making for the First Responder uh, by Samuel and Christian Adams. Guys, go out there, search it. Check it out. Uh, like I said, on all my social media stuff, I'm gonna I'm gonna post a ton of stuff and get this out there and and really get uh get people into this book. So guys, thank you very much again for coming on writing this book. You guys are rock stars in my book. Keep keep it up. Well, thanks, Chris, for having us, man. It's a really great opportunity, and it's awesome to see that we all as first responders are like minded and want to become better. And so we really appreciate the the chance to come on your show, man. No yeah, problem. Thanks, thanks for the platform. I, I, no problem. Definitely going to have you guys back. Ask you guys to come back on. So Certainly. Awesome. All right. All right, man. Well, that's it. That's it. Uh, everybody go forth and uh, save lives and build character.